Well, we have nine more holes to go, so how about you two fellas follow me to the 10th tee? On to the back nine, hour number two of Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper, son of Hall of Famer Billy Casper. Two players down the middle on the 10th hole. Here's Brian and Bob. Well, thank you again and welcome in to hour number two, the back nine of Real Golf Radio. A little magic of radio there. I'm just doing a little editing, no big deal. Keith Clearwater joined us in hour number one. If you missed that, you can surely follow us on Twitter, X, at Real Golf, where it's posted. You can also hook up and uh, follow us on your favorite podcaster site, where all you have to do is search and download Real Golf Radio, subscribe, follow us. We'll post those interviews. Pretty interesting stuff by Keith. Still to come here on the back nine, hour number two, Sean Toulon. ToulonGolf.com is where you can find him now. They got small batch stuff going. 75 putters, 1800 a piece, sold out in hours. Oh yeah. That's and they're going to and the cool thing is they're going to be doing that once every month. Yeah. So, and they got some other stuff in store. We'll check in with, with Sean and so you can figure out how to be a part of that, but definitely follow them on social. They advertise all that stuff on there and and uh let you know what's going on. And then America's favorite caddy is going to stop by. It's one of those weeks where the caddies earn their pay, Bob. When you've got rain delays, you've got weather, all kinds of shifting things. It becomes, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of work for these caddies out there. Yeah, and you know, especially when you got to keep those grips dry, you, the bag gets heavy, <laughs> um, all everything's loaded into it. Um, water can seep into the bag, especially coming up through the bottom because they want, uh, you know, you put the bag down, the water kind of comes up when it's really, really wet through the bottom. It's just really, really difficult. You're holding the, you're holding the umbrella, you, you know, the towels are hanging, the gloves are hanging up inside there. It's, uh, it's really difficult and really hard and you earn your money. Hey, by the way, speaking of earning your money, I love that Keith gave you all the credit that you were the only caddy that he relied on to read putts. That was pretty cool. Absolutely. Hey, what a flex. Keith and I read putts very, very similar. Um, and so it was, it was really, really easy to help him with some of that stuff. And it was tough on some golf courses where the greens were just a little bit quirky and they didn't have a lot of movement in them that you could see, but yet they still kind of moved based on grain and that kind of thing. Well, I want to ask you about that coming up next because you kind of taught me how to read greens. I still don't do it as well as you. So maybe there's uh, something to it that I'm missing that you can fill all of us in on how to read greens, especially when it comes to different green surfaces. We don't have to deal with a lot of grain here in Utah, thankfully, but there are some places you get into those Bermuda and that grain has a huge impact. So we'll get into it all next and all the top stories and headlines right here on Real Golf Radio. Back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. All right, welcome back. It's Real Golf Radio brought to you in part by Black Desert Resort in St. George, Utah. Check out blackdesertresort.com. Find out about this amazing new resort in southern Utah that is set to host a PGA Tour FedEx Cup fall event coming up this October. The Resort Center Hotel, the Golf Village, and some Family Village units all set to be open in time for that October tour event so sometime late summer the official opening of the resort which is going to be really exciting golf course is already open you can book a tee time at blackdesertresort.com and check that out under golf and then find out about the exclusive real estate opportunities where you can own a piece of black desert and cash in on uh, this uh, just unbelievable place really is something check it out at blackdesertresort.com 
Com. Bob, I left off asking you about putting and reading putts. I think that's interesting. So in talking with Keith, you know, he's, he, you, you guys said you have the same way of reading putts. I noticed that, you know, um, you know, Dr. Hoops and I, we play a lot together, but we don't putt the same. So sometimes yeah. I read it one way, but he reads it another because a guy might push his putts just a little bit or a guy might pull his putts just a little bit. So the way you would, your eyes would see the putt would be slightly different. How is it that you are able to read the putts similar to Keith? Is it that you have the same putting style or is there a method of reading greens that sort of fit with the two of you? Well, you know, there's so much about reading greens that if, if you don't read them correctly, then you're, you're up against the eight ball and you're not going to make a lot of putts. Um, so my dad always said that was the most important thing as far as being able to make putts was to be able to read the green correctly. So when you're talking about grain on a green, you talk about um, how how the grass lays on the green. The grass isn't sticking straight up. It's laying on the green. So um, predominantly like bent grass greens, um, poana greens, uh, it's always towards the drainage, how the green drains off um, is where the grass lays towards it. Um, when you're talking about Bermuda greens and some of those other hybrid types of Bermuda greens, Predominantly, my dad always said that the grain of the grass always goes towards the setting sun. Okay. So to the southwest. So you can look at a cup and you can see where it's burnt out and where it's and where it's full grass. And 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 you can you can determine which way the green is going based on that burnout edge, which is which is what you do with like Bermuda grass. Now, as far as slope and that type of thing of greens, you see guys doing aim point and that's just all kind of getting a feel for the slope of the green. But one of the things that Keith and I always did is we plug Bob, we we'd hold the, we'd hold the, um, the shaft up to be able to kind of get an idea of the slope um, and where from the ball to the edge of the cup how far out you needed to hit it and that kind of thing. And without going into that in real big, um, a long explanation. Um, yeah, just, it, it just, it's like a surveyors when they're trying to look at slope of, of ground and that kind of thing, you can do that same thing with a putter. And that's why Keith and I were able to read those pretty, closely mm. yeah and we've heard from sean Toulon, and we, we'll hear from him again coming up but uh you know when he was developing triple track and the different things like yeah. that they talked about how average players were so far off i mean just a degree or two on right. a 10 or 15 footer could end up missing the hole by you know several inches you know, yes. up to a foot, you know, depending on, you know, how, how misaligned you are. Now, sometimes you just get it wrong and it, you look silly. They know that happens. But for yep. the most time, one of the things that, that I need to do a better job of is when I'm lining it up, I need to remember that the hole is what, four inches wide, four and a quarter, whatever it is. And yeah. so you need to take the, into account that any part of the hole is okay. And sometimes yes. I overread it. And I play it on the high side where maybe it's an inch or two break. You don't need to play. If it's an inch or two break, keep it in the hole. Yeah. Right. And sometimes I'm like, it's an inch or two break. I got to play it outside the hole. Well, now you're banking on it, catching that right edge. You know, you, you, if you, if it's a, if it's a two inch break, play it on the right edge and it'll finish dead center. You've got yeah, all that, the, you know what I mean? You need to remember about the hole also is 
on a right to left putt or a left to right putt, the center of the hole is not the center of the hole that you're looking at directly on. The center of the hole is on the line that the ball is coming into the hole. Which then you use that hole, um, was it Dave Stockton with the clock, Uh right? And so if it's a a left to rider, center Mm -hmm. might be at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock. 7 or 8 o'clock, that might be the center of the hole. 6 o'clock as you're facing it, right? Coming Correct. in, right? So, 100%. Yeah. yeah, so that's kind 100%. of an interesting thing, too. All right, yep. so th- there's, our, <laughs> there's, there's putting. Let's get back to the waste uh, management, the WM Phoenix Open. Again, this is one, Bob, that is is a, a favorite, right? Because it's just so yep. crazy. And guys get to enter the gauntlet. They go underneath the, the tunnel, and they come out, and it's all crazy. It's just something unique. And I, I don't know that it's something you'd want to see every week on tour. You know, Liv has promoted that they're golf but louder, this yeah. is loud. This is the measurement of loud. Everything <laughs> else besides the 16th hole at the Phoenix is not loud. It's quiet. And so yes. this this is where it gets out of control. I suppose that tournament operators and sponsors and television, they would probably love to see this kind of fervor and excitement every week on tour. I can appreciate that. But it is sort of its unique position. And yes. that 16th hole, we've had a chance to be out there. It's mm-hmm. really unlike anything you'll experience in golf. It's yeah. just it's just craziness. It's what it is. And 150,000 spectators. Um, it's an event every year um, with the Phoenix Open. 150,000 spectators a day, and it's uh, it's really crazy. They line up at I don't know before it even gets light. Oh, yeah. They aren't let onto the golf course until 7.30, and it's mass exodus to the 16th hole, running as fast as you can to get as many seats as you can for your buddies and all that kind of thing so that you can sit there the whole day and party hardy while you're watching everybody play. So um, it's, uh, it is a spectacle, but it's fun to have it at least once a year. Yeah, no question. And look, 150,000 people a day, you're talking about U.S. Open Ryder Cup, things like that. They're like forty to fifty thousand a day. Right. So it's right. triple that. I mean, it's yes. uh, it's unreal. All right, Scotty Scheffler. He's the number one player in the world. He's a two time defending champ this week, and uh, currently, again, it's all going to shift out. But through his two rounds, he went sixty eight, sixty six, and as it sits, is tied for fifth. We'll see where it shakes out when everybody else has a chance to finish their rounds. But nevertheless, he would become the first player to three peat on the PGA Tour since Steve Stricker won the John Deere Classic in 2009, 10, and 11. So it's been a long time since uh, somebody has three-peated, but Scotty's due for a dub, man. I mean, Scotty is due, and he obviously likes this golf course given the fact that he's won a couple of times. He's tied for fifth at five under par, which at the moment is seven shots behind Andrew Novak and and Nick Taylor, but um, who, who are at 12 under par after their two rounds. But that's not... That I mean, when you see guys that go out and shoot, like Nick Taylor did seven sixty in the first round, you right. know, he, he can make up some ground. His seven shots isn't too far to come from behind at Phoenix. Not at all. Andrew Norvik currently and Nick Taylor are at 12 under par, and they're leading. Then you've got Maverick McNeely with his round done at 10. Scotty Scheffler is done at 8 under par. And then you've also got Justin Thomas there. Cameron Young is at 8 under par. So you've got some you've got some big names that are not far away um, with these guys that are currently in the clubhouse at 12 under par with the rest of these guys playing um, because uh, suspension of play came at around 6-10 on Friday evening. 
And I realized as uh, you were reading that that I misspoke. When he shot, when Scotty shot five under in his second round, he is eight under total. So there's only four That's back. That's correct. That's even more That's correct. doable than the seven back right. that I talked about. I was like, wait a minute, it's not seven back. There it is. Under, he's only four back. Yeah. I, I hear you. I could feel all y'all uh, saying, you know, what the heck are you talking about there? A uh, <laughs> couple other notables: Ricky Fowler, who won here a couple of years ago. He opened with 73, and it just had one hole uh, completed. So he's got nearly his entire second round to play same with max homa he's plus two both those guys are are sitting there at plus two uh troy Merritt uh shot 69 in the opening round he's got a few holes left to complete his second round currently at two under par through um like i said with three holes to play in his second round and is tied for 47th jordan spieth shot 68 he got some really bad weather in that opening round and he's only played two holes so he sits at three under par but uh, a lot still to play for. Wyndham Clark uh, came back with a 65 in the second round to get to five under par. He's tied for 18th. Again, Wyndham Clark picking up that dub in the shortened event last week, the 54-hole event with a 60 in what would have been his final round on Saturday. Stay tuned. Coming up next, Sean Toulon joins us here on Real Golf Radio. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. All right, welcome back to Real Golf Radio. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper, and really excited to welcome in our next guest. You've heard him on here before. And, you know, when we think about our show being uh, in the 25th year, there is there's a few guys that we have to thank and a few guys that are partly responsible for our continued success. And one of those guys, without question, is Sean Toulon with uh, Toulon Design. And he's been time with, uh, when we first met him, back at TaylorMade, spent time with Odyssey and Callaway, and uh, now is enjoying his best life with uh, his sons and creating these awesome small batch putters through Toulon Design. Sean, how are you? my friend i'm doing great brian how are you yeah can't can't complain just uh just getting older and and, and enjoying life you know i mean that's that's what yeah. it's all about right robert how are you nice to, nice to hear your voice as well i'm doing well sean and uh good to hear your voice too you had some <laughs> exciting things happening this week with the small batch you just dropped a small batch of uh putters and uh how did that go for you yeah, well, they're gone. They're sold out, which is, which is um, that's typically what happens. This one is a really cool one. I mean, obviously, we love them all, but this one um, is, is sort of near and dear to my heart, probably to you too, uh, I would think, Bob. But so it was called Latrobe, um, which is our version of um, an eighty-eight oh two, obviously named after mm-hmm. Arnold Palmer's place, and um, you know Arnold. Um, instrumental in the design of the putter along with Wilson back in 1964. And, um, you know, we wanted to pay a proper tribute to that, to Mr. Palmer, um, but not just make a putter that was, you know, a total remake. How would we take a, an iconic shape and design like that and make it so it could perform, you know, for today, right? I mean, that putter is 60 years old, for goodness sake. Um, and when you think about it, Green speeds 60 years ago at Augusta were around seven, right? Um, right. And uh, they're, they're, they're double that now, right? 14, let's say. Um, so as agronomy has, has really changed um, and green speeds have gotten so much faster, um, the design of putters have changed. And we wanted to make sure that this putter looked, felt, 
you know, it gave you all the same emotions, but it could be used today uh, and used well. So fun. That was a fun project. So tell me a little, what is the, the business model? When people are looking for Toulon putters now, what, mm-hmm. what's the, what are you doing? What's the opportunity for people to participate, to be able to buy your putters? Uh, do you still have the garage open? Things like that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that, um, so we, we restarted, um, it's actually now called Toulon Golf, um, in, uh, in August. So I retired from Callaway and Odyssey in July. So I enjoyed a nice afternoon of retirement and, uh, (laughs) restarted, which has just been, it's a dream come true. Um, so we, we started right away getting, uh, getting prepared. We had some of these small batch um, that we dropped today, some of these programs already in the works when I was at, at Odyssey. Uh, and we were able to, uh, when I left, take those with us. So that was great. So what we've done is launch these really small, about 75 pieces or so of uh, just incredible uh, putters, just very artistic, sort of nostalgic, uh, but updated designs, uh, 75 of them worldwide. Um, they sell out really fast. They sell out in the first day, um, usually in the first few hours. And, uh, so we've done one in August, September, October, November, December. We just, uh, January and we just did our, 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 I guess it's our sixth or seventh one today. So that's one way. And they're all available at Um, you know, for just a very short period of time, then they're gone. Um, but coming up at the end of this month, you guys, we're going to be launching what we're calling our first run 24 collection, which is just an incredible collection of 11 different right-handed models and uh, three different left-handed models, just exquisite milled putters, um, look, sound, feel, performance, technology, everything that you could possibly imagine. Those are going to be still available in small quantities, but they're going to be easier to attain, um, again, through TulanGolf.com. So I think um, our, uh, our launch date, we're, we've got in pencil, not pen, but in pencil on the 22nd of February, and uh, we couldn't be more excited to bring those out. I love that. Sean Toulon joining us here <laughs> on Real Golf Radio. So... You, you are these going to be strictly milled putters? I know that's kind of what the the Toulon specialty is. And to that point, what what are your feelings on that versus insert putters? And and I guess how how do you how does one decide? Is it strictly a a personal decision? Is it a feel? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I think it is personal. Um, to, to be honest with you, I lo- we love all putters, right? Um, <laughs> but for us. Um, our stock and trade is, is milled putters. And, and, you know, we only have one goal. That's to make the most incredible, best, uh, most exquisite milled putters in the world. That's what we, that's, that's what our mission is. Um, so, you know, that's all, how do we get the shape right? How do we get the, the sound and the feel right? And, you know, so there's a lot of art meets a lot of engineering and a lot of science that goes into really creating these things. And I think ultimately for me at least, and I think a lot of golfers would agree um, with this, there's, there's nothing that feels better than a magnificent milled putter. And, and that's what we're really trying to do. So, um, you know, whether it's a, you know, just a, a beautiful classic blade 
uh, and we'll have those in the line. Um, a wider blade offering, uh, which we'll have in the line. That's really cool. And then a pretty wide assortment of mallets uh, where we get to kind of flex our creative muscle a little bit, if you will, and, uh, and bring some pretty interesting, cool new shapes there. So just exciting times for us. So you just mentioned something which I thought was really interesting is you talked about sound and you talked yeah. about feel. Maybe why don't you talk a little bit about how those really kind of relate and mesh together um, in, in putters? Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you the overriding um, influence on how you um, how a putter actually feels to a, to a golfer is sound. Um, and if I were to put earmuffs uh, or a headset on you guys and have you hit putt, um, what you would actually feel would, would it, I mean, it gets totally anesthetized. It is probably the best word for it. So, um, so it's really important that you marry the sort of this crisp, responsive, feel to, um, or sound to create the right feel for a milled putter. But the second part of it, uh, Bob, which to me, I think, um, is something that we really focus on and I'm not sure other people do as much or as much as in my opinion, they should is sound and the speed, um, by which the ball leaves the face is Mm -hmm. really, really in building a great putter. In other words, if a ball is going to come off the face faster, that should give you a little bit more sound. So let me say it a different way. If I gave you guys two drivers, one was really quiet and one made a lot of, of noise, a lot of sound when you hit it. And I ask you, Bob, which one do you think you're hitting farther? I promise yeah. you, you're going to hit a loud one, right? Yeah. So we try to make sure that sound is what you sort of what you feel is what you hear and what you hear is what you see. So, if, if you hit a with something and it's a little bit crisper, it should have a little bit more ball speed. So we really try to tune our design, which is not just the head, but it's also the shaft and the stiffness of the shaft to create the right ball speed. So this whole experience, sort of visceral experience, um, really um, is in sync, right? So there's a harmony, there's a, a harmony that I think you really have to, to get to, and I think we have done a really good job of, of getting there. Sean Toulon joining us. That's the harmony. That's the, that's exactly, it's almost like a bagger Vance kind of thing you're talking yeah. about right there, right? This whole, <laughs> this whole like spirituality of not all and technology that comes together to create what we call feel. And that translates yeah. hopefully into confidence, which translates into making more putts, right? I mean, I know you've got to, you got to have some mechanical stuff in there, but you've got to have some good feelings about that putter for that ball to go in the hole. You do. And, and to your point, the mechanical part, you know, you need to make sure you've got the CG in the right place. And, you know, years ago when we were designing putters, we always felt like we had to move the CG further and further back, uh, which can work in some cases for some golfers, but it creates a lot of issues. Um, so now really the focus is on trying to get the CG a little bit closer to the face. That really helps you maintain ball speed on miss hits. Uh, and it also helps you translate, translate a little bit more um, impact ratio or ball speed, um, and gives you a better feel. So those are all things that are sort of always in flux, uh, during the design process. But, um, 
we think uh, we think we've uncovered a pretty good recipe with this 24 collection. And then, you know, we try to apply that same idea to these artistic forms that we call small batch. So fun. Yeah, really it, it is really fun. So again, wow. just to recap, for those that want to, they're fans of Toulon that want these putters, they need to go to toulongolf.com. And then again, once a month, you got small batch drops, but then coming here, what, sometime end of this month, beginning of March, there'll be some some uh, regular putters, I guess, if you will, uh, that are more readily available. That's right. Yep. And uh, yeah, they're all beautiful. So um We'd love to have you drop by the site and take a look, and, yeah. and uh, we think you're going to love what you see. Well, Sean, congratulations on everything. Thanks again for your uh, interaction with us, for the chance to visit with you, and, and for all you've done for us over these last 25 years. We appreciate it, and we wish you all the best. Likewise. It's gone both ways. So um, I've really enjoyed getting to know you guys over the years and, and love our partnership. So thank you. You got it. Sean Toulon joining us right here. Check out toulongolf.com and get in on one of the drops if you want something truly special. Stay tuned. More of the show coming up next. Now, back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. Hey, you're listening to Real Golf Radio. I'm Brian Taylor. He's Bob Casper. And right now we welcome in everybody's favorite guest, America's favorite caddy. There are bag rats, and then there are caddies. Pro jocks who are legends in caddy shacks across the PGA Tour. While we can neither confirm nor deny the existence of this legendary looper, here he is, the caddy on Real Golf Radio. Oh yeah, the caddy joins us each and every week, and uh, he is a legend in caddy shacks across the country. Caddy, what's happening, man? Oh, I don't know. I'm just relaxing in the desert. Mm. I don't know what's happening. Are you down for the Super Bowl? You in Vegas? I can neither confirm nor deny my whereabouts for the Super Bowl championship. It's probably best that way. Well, whatever happens stays there that or something. Isn't that how, I don't know. Yes. What, how's that go? What happens in yeah. Vegas stays in Vegas. Caddy ain't staying in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know what? We talked a lot uh, the last couple of weeks about how much we love the West Coast swing and how we think it's the best, the sexiest, yada, yada. Mother Nature is kind of is kind of not making it as sexy, I guess. Let's put it that way. And I, my little, my little joke, maybe you could appreciate this one, Caddy, is the year that they choose to keep the celebrities out of the weekend at Pebble Beach, the biggest celebrity of all, Mother Nature, decided to show up and crash the party. That's funny, right? That's pretty good. Boy, you know, coincidence? Mm. Mm-hmm. The conspiracy theory is coming. So I'm calling it the wet, cold swing instead of the <laughs> west coast. <laughs> My, that 10 times fast to get you in trouble. Yeah. So I have. I will say this, though. So I'm I'm in I'm currently in Phoenix and Thursday was legit brutal. I mean legit. In the morning it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad and then around eleven o'clock, eleven thirty you could see this gray gloaming just coming at you and you're you're thinking, Uh oh, here we go. And it did rain and it was really cold. And of course they kinda of stopped playing. Now, Friday morning, I think it was thirty eight early in the morning and then it was, Ooh. but I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I went outside about nine o'clock 
it was still in the 40s, and it was almost T-shirt weather for the caddy. It was that nice at 48 degrees. And when it got to 50-51, there's not, the caddy's in shorts and a shirt. No sweat, no sweater for the caddy. Mm. It was beautiful, actually. All day Friday, beautiful, perfect. So it looked cold on the temps, but I got to tell you, you know, get out west, little elevation, get the sunshine. It's 20 degrees warmer than that temperature. That's in the caddy. It, it's it's kind of interesting how things go with the PGA Tour and when there's rain delays and all that kind of stuff. Talk a little bit about the caddy's job and what he has to do to make sure, especially during rain or during rain delays or whatever, to uh, to help out with the player and uh, and to prepare for when they're going to get back out on the golf course. Boy, I've got so many rain stories. So the rain is where the caddy earns his keep when it rains. That is when you really, as a player, you better have a pro jock, as Carl <laughs> Spagler would say, on the bag at that point in time. Uh, keeping the grips dry is the absolute number one priority. Keep the grips dry. That's the number one thing. Everything else out the window. Yardages, strategy, whatever. Yeah, I was at the, the Irish Open one time, and I don't know what happened. There was this misty rain that came. I've never experienced anything like it. It's like it permeated the bag. I had a couple extra towels like you do. Everything was good. I had the rain cover on the bag. We're pulling out the clubs, and they're wet. And I'm, what the heck's going on? They're not getting wet. How are they getting wet? Maybe it was a bad bag. Anyway, I thought in the middle of the round, we're not, we're not going to be able to keep playing. Because once these grips get wet, it's all over. You can't hold on to it. You can't even swing a club. But luckily, the rain stopped, and so we dodged a bullet there. Anyway, you're loading up on the t- Now, during the rain delay, that gets a little more interesting. You really hope you luck out, and you're in your hotel room playing in the afternoon when they call that rain delay. Because if you start playing, and then there's a delay, you can sit around for two, three, four hours waiting for the decision that you know is going to come, but you can't leave until the decision's made to call it a day. And it's rare that you have to wait four hours, but it's, you know, you're kind of sitting there, you're miserable thinking, man, half those guys are back in the condo and they're warm and just <laughs> sitting there watching and I'm here waiting it out, you know? And so you, you want the good end of the draw when that happens. It's just a luck thing, you know, 50, 50. Um, One thing I had to do one time, we had a big rain delay at the Players' Championship the year my player happened to win. And we had a restart late in the day, either Friday or Saturday. I'm driving to the course. He lives right near the golf course, a mile from the the range. I call call his house just to kind of check on him. And his son answers, and it says, hey, your dad, your dad, leave for the course and he says no he's sleeping this is 20 minutes before we're taking off no he's sleeping <laughs> oh my God. I said well you might want to wake him up since he's leading the tournament because we got to play a few more holes tonight so he runs out there and everything's okay so we could have pulled a Lucas Glover there Whew. if I hadn't called him wow you know yeah it was crazy um, that stuff happens I mean, it just it happens weird things happen how about the Rory McIlroy during the Ryder Cup at Medina. 
needed a police escort to get there on time. Went right to the first tee and won his match. Yep. No problem. Here we go. Yep. He made it on time. Oh, man. Seve one time, I remember at Baldestraw, they had really incredible traffic and no one could get in. And it was, I don't know if it was Larry Nelson or Seve, but somebody actually hopped out of their car and waved down a motorbike and hopped on it and rode in on the back of a motorcycle to get to their <laughs> team. That was all fine. I think it was Seve who did it. it was either, maybe it was Larry Nelson. You sure you, you know, weren't watching yeah. Dumb and Dumber? It was something like that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. rain delays are just, wow. I mean, those those days, just, it's not fun caddying the rain. The bag. What do you think, Bob? The bag feels oh, like it gets 30 heavy. pounds heavy? Uh, yeah, oh, and, and it's loaded up. It's got everything in it. Oh. Like you said, the towels, then, the rain gear, everything. I mean, that used to happen with regularity when we were in, at Castle Pines in Colorado. Oh, the, the afternoon thunderstorms in Castle Pines. It's, yeah, they just, I, I live in Denver now, and they are, they're a thing. You know, those the afternoon thunder boomers. And they seem to just seek out Castle Pines. It's in this corridor or something of lightning. I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah, they, uh, those, those things are, are pretty intense. Hey, I don't mean to rain on the rain parade here, but can we uh, let's shift over to uh, the 16th hole at TPC Scottsdale? Talk about the experience of walking through the tunnel and how cool mm-hmm. that is from even a professional golfer, how excited these guys get to enter into the gauntlet or the or the arena that is the 16th hole. So that tunnel didn't exist back in the caddies back in the day when the caddy was caddy. That's all new, the stadium thing. The stadium thing was becoming a thing. My last year caddying was, of course, around 2012 on the tour. So it's been a while. But I got a cool story. So we're on the range standing there with Kelly Gibson, Tiger Woods, 19, I think it was 97, maybe. I think it was 97. We're on the range and we look over towards 16 and you couldn't really see it, but you could see the mounds and the hills. And there's a million people standing on the hill. So we know Tiger's on 16. Okay, here we go. What's going to happen? We hear this ridiculous roar and it sounds like a hole in one roar. I mean, it's loud. Now the range has got to be, 800 yards to the 16th thing. Yeah. It's, I mean, half a mile. It's not that close, right? And so so we hear this roar. I mean, it's loud. It's loud. And um, I'm kind of thinking, man, that, that didn't quite sound like a hole-in-one, but it almost did. Well, that was Omar Uresti hitting it a foot from the hole, <laughs> playing with Tiger. And then Tiger gets up and hits it. And, of course, we don't know. And it's an explosion. I mean, I've been in RFK Stadium way back when it was rocking. I, I, it was so loud. That roar was so loud. But it's not just that it was a loud roar. It was sustained. It went on for five minutes from the time the shot went in until the time he pulled the, the ball out of the hole. I, I mean, the crowd was roaring like at its peak for five minutes. And uh, there was a player who was in the fitness trailer getting worked on, which is sort of a like an 18 hole truck trailer. Right. And it's got the thin walls and all that. And he said the walls in the trailer were, he could feel them vibrating from the noise. Wow. That's a half a mile away. It's like yeah. a bomb explosion. It was, it was amazing. 
That was the loudest roar I've ever heard from a distance on a golf course. I believe it or not, here's how loud it can get. When we played with Tiger and things were rocking and rolling and we've been walking from green to tee and it's, it's legit so loud that you could, I've yelled at my player from behind six feet behind. I've yelled and he couldn't hear me. That's how loud it can get in the, in the crowd at a golf tournament, which you find hard to believe, but um, I'm telling the truth here. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. Good stuff. Uh, Caddy joining us here on Real Golf Radio. All right, store, the topic of the day, we got to get this from you before we run out of time here. We've been talking about this equity on the PGA Tour that they're doling out to all the different uh, sectors. And the one that we have found to be very curious, and partly because it could have an effect on, you know, Bob Casper himself here, depending on how things shake out. But um, we're talking about the legacy category. Okay, so it's the fourth category. It's not the big, huge $750 million between 36 players, but it is $75 million amongst 36 players. And it is going to be granted to players who were instrumental to build the PGA Tour based on career performance. So instrumental to building the PGA Tour based on career performance. With that said, Caddy, who, I mean... Where do you start? And I haven't heard what the criteria exactly is. Some of it seems a bit subjective. What do you think of when you when you hear that group? I mean, Jack Nicholas's name was already thrown out there. So we know it's guys like Jack. Who are the other 35 like Jack that are going to be included in this legacy group in your mind? The first name I'm throwing out is Arnold Palmer. Yeah. yeah. That's the first name. Um, yep. I think, uh, do you go all the way back to Hogan and Sneed and, and before the PGA tour? I mean, they're, they're, they're all part of that legacy. Um, well, the it PGA says, tour, you know, caddy, hold on a second. It says building were instrumental in building the modern PGA tour. Well, it doesn't say modern, oh. but that's how we're interpreting it. Yeah. Well, the, the big break was, what was it, 69 when Jack and Arnie kind of, yeah, they went away from the PGA of America and became their own thing. So you could, you could say, okay, that's where it begins, right? Let's go from there. Um, and who did what from there? Um, I'm interested that that's the fourth category. I'm interested in the 97th category, which is, legendary tour caddy and what kind of <laughs> there, but that's a whole nother discussion for another show. That's a discussion for another. No, but, but look, this is, this is the problem. It's, it's such a subjective measure, but I do kind of like one of the things it says is based on performance. Yeah. Career, okay? career performance. Well, let's, list, let's list who, who, how do you judge performance on the tour? Well, let's go with what wins. You can't yeah. do money because that changes all over the place. So just go down the list of who won the most tournaments and there's your 36 guys. That's a nice objective way to do it. Who won the most events? Boom, 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 boom. There's 36. Okay. Next question. That's how I'm doing it. Well, if you're, but if I'm you're taking out the pre 65ers, which Sam Sneed won his last event in six or pre 68, you're, you're, you're Sam, Sam Sneed won 
His last event in 65. Sorry, that got took me a while to get to that one. Yeah. Ben Hogan's last one was in 59. Palmer, sorry, he's in there. Uh, Nelson was 51. Uh, Hagen was in 36. So if you take all those guys out, you basically took three out. That puts number one, Tiger Woods. Number two, with, with by the way, with 82 wins. Number two, Jack Nicholas was 73. Uh, Arnold Palmer was 62, and Billy Casper was 51. And you got to throw Tiger out because he's already in category number one. That's right. That's a good point. Yes. You're right. Tiger's That's already out in category one. You're right. Good point. So, so there's your there's your top three. And so got Watson. I, I mean, Watson will be in there. Yeah, Watson sits there yep. with 39 wins. Sure. Yeah, sure. I think Mickelson probably won't be included in the group. <laughs> um, I'm assuming. I don't know. Um, probably not. But that's um, VJ yeah, Singh. I mean, gonna, put VJ Singh in that group. VJ's had a ton of wins. And even if you're talking thirty some guys, I mean, you're probably even getting down to guys like is Lanny doing it? Lanny's got twenty. I guess you got to get close to thirty wins or more to get in this group of thirty six, don't you? Or maybe they're in the twenties even to get no, that. But anyway, yeah. Without going into the details, um, it does say based on performance, right? So it's kind of an objective measure. It's just a question of what dates are they choosing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I would cool say, I would say that in any amount of discussion we've had today, you would have a hard time not including Billy Casper in that. So Bob, I hope they back up the Brinks truck for your mother and, uh, That's include, right. include Billy Casper and recognize him as one of the key legacy players to in building the PGA tour. Caddy, we're out of time, but always a pleasure. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you real soon. Thank you, gentlemen. There you go. That's the caddy right here on Real Golf Radio. Appreciate you uh, joining us here on the show. For Dave Glauser, Bob Casper, I'm Brian Taylor. We'll see you next week right here on Real Golf Radio. Thank you for listening to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. Follow us on Twitter at Real Golf. And join us every week on the Real Golf Radio Network.